Man, it is so good to, uh, to be here this morning. If you are, like, new with us this morning, I just want to say a special thank you for uh, coming and joining us. And if you're looking for, like, a church community to be a, a part of, we would love to have you uh, find your home here. Uh, one of the things I would say that you would need to know about South Point is the reason that we do everything that we do is that we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that that unconditional love is found in a person whose name is Jesus. And, and that's why we try to center everything, especially when we gather together, whether it's in, in this room on Sunday mornings or in our groups, we want to center everything around Jesus. Because we believe that when we spend time with Jesus, that he changes us. And at, at this time in our gatherings, we look at a portion of Scripture with the goal to know Jesus more. Not simply more about Jesus, but to actually know Him more. And we've been looking at the very first book of the New Testament called Matthew, where it's a biography of Jesus written by, surprise, Matthew, who was an eyewitness to everything that Jesus said and what He did. And for the past few weeks, we've seen how Jesus has prepared for the mission that he came to do. And it's a, it's a huge mission. He has come to establish a new kingdom, one that he will reign over forever. His new kingdom will ultimately restore everything that has been broken by sin. In this new kingdom, Jesus will provide the way to be reconciled with God, with one another, and with creation itself. This kingdom, it's a kingdom that started upon his arrival and will be fully realized when he comes again someday. It's a kingdom that comes at a huge price. It will cost Jesus his life on a Roman cross where he paid the penalty for our sin. And his kingdom... And this kingdom is ushered in with an exclamation point when he conquers death by rising from the dead. Jesus has done some really unusual things to prepare for this huge mission. I mean, he's been baptized by this wild man named John the Baptizer. And then he goes off and spends 40 days in the desert without food, only to be tempted by Satan himself. And that's where we're picking up things this morning. So you can follow along on the screen or if you have your Matthew journals. If you would like a Matthew journal, we have some back at Connection Point. We're in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. It's page 18. You can follow along on the screen. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and only shall you serve, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is Satan's third and final attempt to trip Jesus up. And in his first attempt, he knew that Jesus was starving. He'd been going without food for 40 days and 40 nights. And so he tried to get Jesus to turn stones into bread. 
But that wasn't really at the core of what he was tempting him. He's just really questioning, is Jesus, you have to prove who you are, your identity. And last week, Dustin did an incredible job of unpacking the second temptation when Satan takes uh, Jesus up to the pinnacle, the, the very top of the temple in Jerusalem, and he challenges Jesus to jump knowing that he would be saved by the angels as a way to do, for Jesus just to do his own thing, not, not to trust God. And think about it. If Jesus had done that, like hundreds, maybe thousands of people would have seen him jump off that temple and be saved. And man, it would have been a really quick introduction to Jesus, like instant followers, right? But this third and final attempt to trip Jesus up, Satan really pulls out all the stops. He couldn't get Jesus to question who he is, and he couldn't get Jesus to stop trusting the Father, so he gives it one more try. He simply offers Jesus a shortcut to accomplish his mission. Satan knows who Jesus is and that Jesus has come to establish some sort of rule. He just doesn't know how Jesus will do this, nor does he fully grasp the impact that this new kingdom that Jesus has come to establish will have. Satan thinks that he has caught Jesus in the perfect moment of weakness. Maybe he's finally worn him down, so he goes all in. He puts all the chips on the table and in this feeble attempt to try to derail whatever God's planning. Basically, what Satan is saying is, you've come to build a kingdom? Let me make it easy, and I won't interfere. I'll give it all to you. There's just one little thing that I want in return. You need, you need to bend the knee to me. Satan's offering Jesus an exchange, an easier route to establish his kingdom for a quick bend of the knee to him. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's not super clear exactly when Jesus knew he was Jesus. Like, when did he know that he was God and that he had come to do what he came to do. It was when he was, like he always knew as it was a teenager. It's just not clear. But, but I'm pretty certain by this point, he knows. He knows the cross is in his future. He knows the suffering he is going to endure. He knows he has come to take on the sin of the world and he knows exactly what this is going to cost him. Now, neither this account nor Luke's account of Satan's third effort to tempt Jesus indicates if there was any kind of pause on the part of Jesus before he responds. I mean, consider what's at stake here. Like, what hangs in the balance? I mean, for Jesus, this is potentially an easier route to have a kingdom. And, and for Satan, it's an opportunity to stop God's cosmic plan of redemption, to get the recognition that he's always longed for, to be like God. But I don't think there was ever any deliberation on the part of Jesus. And he responds just like he has with every temptation, quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. In this part of Deuteronomy, God is giving the Israelites instructions on how they can experience the fullness of life with God. In Deuteronomy 6, 
13, it says this, you must fear the Lord your God and serve him. And then the very next verse in verse 14, it says, you must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nation. The word fear is a Hebrew word, yar, which can also be translated worship. And God is telling his people that they are meant to worship and serve him only, to never bend the knee to anyone or anything else. So Jesus' response to Satan is, get lost. I'm only supposed to worship God, period. For Jesus, there's no other way. There's no shortcut. Easier isn't an option. God's way is the only way. What Satan was offering to Jesus wouldn't have fulfilled his, his mission anyway. God's kingdom wouldn't come this way. And even if Satan could have given all of the kingdoms of the world, which there's some debate as to whether those were his to give in the first place, it wouldn't have been enough to restore people to God. Jesus' kingdom comes only through his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus will make, an, will make an exchange, but it wasn't bending the knee to Satan in exchange for the kingdoms of this world. Paul describes the exchange that Jesus ultimately makes this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's incredible to grasp that. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He says this, That is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners. That's all of us. Wherein by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, the right standing of Christ, not Christ, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. On the cross, Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. What an incredible exchange. His sacrifice on the cross was the only way we could be rescued from our sin and restored back to God. And this was his mission. So Jesus refused any shortcut. The truth is that Satan really hasn't changed his tactics. He tries to convince us that there are easier, more appealing shortcuts to God. This, earlier this summer, I brought my youngest son and his wife, Lauren, to uh, drove back from the Midwest where they were in college and back to live with us for a year. And uh, anytime I make that drive, I do everything I can to avoid Connecticut. <laughs> I hate driving through Connecticut. And, and my daughter-in-law, who's 
been here several times, but through the air, has never like taken that drive. And I told her, I said, Lauren, as soon as we hit Connecticut, we're going to hit traffic, I promise you, regardless of where we go. And sure enough, we were less than a half mile across the border. We had avoided 95 and everything, a half mile into Connecticut, and dead stop traffic. So what do I do? I go to Waze, the Waze app. Anybody use Waze? Yeah? People familiar with that? So I plug in Waze. Now what Waze doesn't take into account is the fact that I'm driving a truck with their stuff in it. And of course it reroutes me around this, right? And if you've ever driven the back roads of Connecticut, they're not designed for a car, let alone a truck. And I was like driving along, we were like five miles on non-highway interstate road and crossing bridges that barely were wide enough for this truck. And at one point, I did kind of clip a little bit, something on the side of the road. Not exactly sure what it was, I don't think it was alive, but I actually clipped something on the side of the road. <laughs> That's the question. Sometimes shortcuts aren't the best. Sometimes we can be tempted to live a ways life. Our lives can become all about finding the shortcuts that seem to be easier or better for us. And Paul warns us against this in 2 Timothy verses 4 or chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 he says this for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth to the truth and wander off into myths this doesn't just mean like teachers inside the church paul's talking about anyone that we listen to who tries to convince us there are shortcuts to the way Jesus calls us to live in his kingdom. Every day there are a bunch of voices that speak into our lives and try to convince us there are easier shortcuts that we can live. And I want to just touch on three of these shortcuts that I think are pretty prominent today. Shortcut number one is this, that there are many ways to God. Perhaps this is something that you've heard, and maybe this is even something that you believe, that Jesus isn't the only way to God, rather he is just one of many ways. What matters most is that you believe in something and that you are true to that belief. And we like the idea of this shortcut because we can choose to believe anything that we want, even if it's just in ourselves. We can customize a convenient belief system that makes our lives easier and leaves us believing that somehow we're in control. But the problem with this shortcut is it contradicts directly with what Jesus says about himself. John 14, 6 says this, And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is teaching his very first sermon 
about this kingdom that he's come to establish. And he says this, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus doesn't leave room for other ways to God. It's only through him. And what's interesting about Jesus is the fact that Yes, Jesus is super exclusive, like there is just one way to God, but he's also on the other side incredibly inclusive in the fact that anyone can come to God through him. If this is the shortcut that you decide to take, any way to God outside of Jesus will come up short in the end. And none of those ways will give you the life that you are truly seeking. Shortcut number two, do what seems right to you. (laughs) Maybe besides Teddy, you've heard this. You've heard this advice. Or perhaps you've even given this advice. Especially when someone's trying to make an important life decision. It goes something like this. You should just follow your heart. Which is another way of saying, do what feels right to you. I don't know, corn mazes aren't a huge thing here. I know that I see them occasionally, but like where I grew up in the Midwest, they're big. And when I say they're big, I mean they're massive. I mean, we're talking acres of corn maize just cut into corn. And similar to here, the corn in Illinois where I grew up grows really tall. I mean, we're talking eight foot tall. And it just, and they just cut these paths through acres of cornfields. And it's easy to get lost. It feels like you're in this weird green tunnel, and everything in that looks the same. It's really easy to get disoriented in the corn maze. It's not something that you just feel your way through. And the worst thing you could do is find somebody who's a really bad guide to lead you through a corn maze. But that's what our heart is. Jeremiah Jeremiah 17.9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Why are our hearts deceitful? Because sin has twisted our hearts. Sin turned our desire for God into desire for ourselves. And our default setting is selfishness. What often seems right to us is what we think benefits us the most. Regardless of the consequences to other, and ironically, even the consequences to ourselves. We make decisions based upon how we feel. And that changes with our circumstances. And with no real anchor to base those decisions on, We can do a lot of damage to others, and we can do a lot of damage to ourselves. 
The best vantage point to navigate through a corn maze is seeing it from the top. Knowing where the dead ends are and how to navigate through to the end. That's how God sees our lives. He has a beginning to end perspective that our hearts and feelings simply do not have. We can trust him to lead us through the maze of life. And then shortcut number three is this. It's all about me. And and this can subtly creep its way into the church. Maybe you've heard this or thought this or believed this. God just wants me to be happy. That sounds really good. After all, wouldn't a good God want me to be happy? There is some false teaching in churches regarding this today, and it usually sounds something like this. If you just have enough faith, God will heal you or cure you. Or if you give to God, he will give you even more, usually money. Or it's God's plan for your life to make you wealthy, healthy, and safe. Remember the itching ears scripture? But that's not anywhere in scripture. In fact, it's contrary to what we read. James 1 Verses 2 through 4, which we looked at earlier last year, it said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And it's not just this verse, there's dozens and dozens of other verses in the Bible, and Jesus himself said, in this life you will have trouble. Not you may, you might, there's a chance, you will have trouble. And not only the scriptures, but look at the lives of the people who followed Jesus in the Bible, his closest followers. Every one of them faced some sort of persecution. Every one of them was, had hardship and troubles. Most of them died because of their faith and because they were trying to carry out the kingdom. Not exactly the happy life. But they all had joy. Here's the truth. Bad stuff will happen to you, even when you wholeheartedly follow Jesus. In this room this morning are lives that can testify to this. Jesus never promises an easy, happy life. However, he does promise us something much better. He promises that he will always be with us, That he is always working his perfect plan and purpose even in the midst of the bad stuff. God never wastes our hurt. Our temporary struggles in this life allow us the unique opportunity to walk with others who are facing the same struggle. We can share and empathize with them in the way that no one else can. And at the end of this life, that's sometimes filled with struggles, Jesus promises that for those who have put their faith in him, a time is coming when there will be no more suffering and no more pain or tears. 
And that way we live forever in the presence of God. There's another more subtle way this all about me shortcut can come in in our relationship with Jesus. It's the idea that God has saved me for me. That once we put our faith in Jesus, that's it. I'm good to go. I punched my ticket to heaven. And now I can just sit back and wait. But here's the truth. God hasn't saved you for you. God hasn't saved me for me. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one could boast, for we are his workmanship. Why? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan for each of us. He has given us a calling to bring his kingdom to others and given us a purpose within that calling. He's called us to be active participants in the work of his kingdom. Not so that we can earn something or pay off what he's done for us, but because this is his design for us. We are blessed so that we can bless others. We are all participants in the kingdom of Jesus now and his mission that he wants everyone to encounter him. What, what is an incredible blessing to be able to share the best news ever with someone. As we're going to have an equip class coming up I think it was mentioned in the scoop in a couple of Sundays in March. It's called Telling Your God's Story. It's a two-week class that's going to be the first two Sundays in March that we're going to help, if, help people be able to tell their God's story and to be able to share their God's story with anyone who asks. I hope that you'll consider. We're going to offer a class at 1030. We're also going to at, at, offer one at 5 p.m. On, on Sundays, the 3rd and the 10th. We want everyone to be ready to share God's unconditional love, to be able to talk about the things that God has done in their lives. There are no shortcuts in Jesus' kingdom. To use the metaphor that we've been using throughout this whole series, good soil knows there are no shortcuts. Jesus could have taken the easy way but that would have left us hopeless. He doesn't go this easy way because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. In fact, his love for the Father and his love for us that made this an easy decision for Jesus. For those of you this morning who are exploring who Jesus is and what he's all about, I want you to know that God offers this amazing opportunity to be reconciled back to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He offers it freely. It's not something that we deserve because we've done good things in our lives or it's not something that we can earn by doing good things. And regardless of what you have done or how you've lived, no matter how bad or how wrong, 
It's available to you. It's simply a gift that God offers us, and like any gift, we just simply accept it. We receive it, and we do this by putting our faith in Jesus. Faith alone in Jesus alone. And putting our faith in Jesus means that we trust him as our only Savior and Lord. There's nothing else that can save us, and there's nothing else that we bend our knee to. Putting faith in him is more than belief. Satan himself knew who Jesus is. Faith means that we follow him, that we trust him, that we spend time with him, and we surrender our shortcuts to his spirit as he works in us to make us more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus. Father, thank you for the way that you continue to draw us to you through the cross. Father, thank you for the life and the hope that we have because of Jesus. Father, help us to continue to surrender ourselves to you. And it's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen.